chapter 1, verse 12, we're going to look at uh, tonight. Temptation or testing? What's the difference? Let's read James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and we're going to get into the, the Word tonight. I hope you're ready to flip around in your Bible. And please come Wednesday nights with a Bible and Sundays with a Bible. That's our text. Uh, we preach and teach from the Bible. I don't have anything else to say, really, if I'm not teaching or preaching out of the Bible. Amen? Faith comes by hearing, not Jeff, but the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So let's look at verse 12. Yeah, there we go. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, watch this now. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what, everybody? His own. Now, I would uh, underline that because that is one of the really important uh, messages that J James brings us on temptation. But drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now, we got a progression going here. He's giving us the steps or the, the sequential events in the life of a temptation. These are the steps downward, the slippery slope. So notice he says, the temptation begins when you're drawn away by your own desire. Second, you're enticed, lured. Then, next, third, when desire has conceived. That's the third step. Fourth, it gives birth. It eventually gives birth. May be a while, may take a while but it gives birth, eventually, to sin. The fifth step, sin, when it's full grown, when it grows up like a child, brings forth death. Then he tells us, watch this, don't be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. The good and the perfect are from above. And come, they come, come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Um, I want to turn your attention once again to the, the, the second and third verse in chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Various trials. Now, you see the word trials there and then temptations in the verses we just read. There is no difference. The same Greek word is translated trials or temptations. There is no difference. Why they made it different in the New King James, I don't know. But it's the same Greek word, same word, translated trial and temptation. So bear that in mind. Look what he says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations. Various temptations, various trials. Knowing that the testing 
of your faith produces patience. Now notice, there's, there's two different things going on here. With, with the same word, there can be two different results. In the first few verses, James says, being tempted or tried can work for your good. Can work for your good. But then over a few verses later, he says, now, uh, there is a temptation that does not work for your good. It is designed to bring you down. In the first time he mentions testing, he says patience is the byproduct of trials. Patience is the byproduct of trials. Now listen carefully to me. This is the best I can, come, I, I can ascertain from these verses. Here's what I've come to. It all depends on our response. Whether it works for our good or works for our bad, it depends on our response. You know, when I, when I look at the teachings of Jesus, I realize, for instance, when he talks about being offended, bless those that curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be called the children of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. Think about that. Every day, this beautiful day, God gave us this beautiful day knowing full well that the vast number, the vast majority in our culture were not honoring him, we're not blessing him, we're not praising him, we're living selfish, greed-driven, self-driven, carnal-driven lives, and yet God gave all of them a beautiful day. I don't know, if I were God, I think I'd be picky and choosy. I'd make the sun rise on those who were blessing me, and I'd give rain clouds on those that weren't. But I'm not God. Jesus said, that's the way you got to treat people, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven. But notice something. Jesus doesn't focus on the offense, those that are cursing you, those that hate you, those that are using you and persecuting you. He doesn't focus on that. He focuses on our response to them. Do good to them. Pray for them. Bless them. He taught us to be on the offense with offenses. Jesus was constantly telling us in all of his teachings, I mean, scan his teachings. See how often he focused on responding correctly instead of the event itself. So if you got somebody sitting there cursing you, he says, focus on your response, bless them. If you got somebody hating you, I don't like being hated. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be cursed. It doesn't feel good to, to be persecuted. But Jesus said, you focus on your response, not on the cursor, not on the hater, not on the user or the persecutor. You focus on your response. So when I look at this teaching on temptation in James, I notice the same thing, that if it works for your good, it depends on your response to it. And if it works to your negative, negatively against you, it all depended on your response to it. Now, this word temptation, I told you it's translated from the same word. Tested, when, when you are tested, it always means with a good and beneficial purpose in mind. When it's a testing, when we respond correctly, it is always going to bring about a good and beneficial purpose. Always. If we respond the way the Bible teaches us to respond, it's going to work for our good. Temptation always leads us to wrongdoing. 
There is one difference, and I'm going to get into in just a moment, between testing and temptation. It might be why they did translate the word differently in the verses that we just looked at. It might, there might be one reason, and I'm going to tell you that reason. Even though it's from the same Greek word, there might be one reason they said testing in one place and temptation in another. Hold that thought, and I'll get to it in just a moment. But when it's a temptation, when he talks about temptation, it is something that always, it's always there to lead us to wrongdoing. But testing, when it's a testing, it is for a good and beneficial purpose. Now, let me just look at a few examples of testing. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 28. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 22, 28. Luke 22, 28. He says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. You have continued with me in my trials. Now that worked out for a good and a beneficial purpose for the men who continued with him in his trials, in his testing. Because they got to be there on the day of Pentecost and receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. There was only one who wasn't there, and that's the one who did not continue with him in his trials. Now, take a right and go to Acts chapter 20, verse 19. You might just want to mark these verses as we go there. How many of y'all mind studying the Bible? We're just going through some verses. Is that okay? I think we're so, TV has got us so used to sitting there soaking and souring. We've almost forgotten how to use a pen and turn pages on a book ourselves. So we're going to do this on Wednesday nights. We're going to go through scriptures. Now, Acts 20, 19, look what he says. This is Paul talking about his trials. He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Yes, he's talking to the Ephesian elders here. And look what came out of all the trials that happened to him that he responded to correctly. He left an incredible church, the Ephesian church, in that very place. He was tested, he responded right, and it turned out to a good and a beneficial purpose. Now, James, we've already read. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to James and just take a right. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And look what he says in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, if need be. Well, we know what the need is. If you need patience, if you need perseverance, if you need some things brought to the surface in your life so that God can work on you, if need be, you have been grieved by various what, everybody? Grieved by what? Various what? I can't hear Sergeant Carter, you know. Now look, look, here's the good and beneficial purpose. Look at verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, that's the good and the beneficial purpose. Amen? Do you see that? Now, go to chapter 4, verse 12, and we're done with this verse. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. 
Don't be shocked. Don't be stunned if all of a sudden you find yourself in something that is really testing your faith. Don't let it shock you. Don't call it weird or strange. Because these things happen. Listen, it's a good sign. Because didn't Jesus teach us in John 15 that if we bear fruit, he prunes us that we may bear more fruit? Well, do you think those pruning shears feel good to that bush, to that, to that uh, tree, whatever is being pruned? Do you think it feels good? No, no, no. Because it's a cutting back. But it's a process. He prunes you that you may bring forth more, more fruit. And that's what testing accomplishes. So he says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's weird. Don't say what in the world is going on with me. It's all a matter of response, how you respond. You can get bitter. You can get better. You can walk away from God, walk away from church. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people get mad at God and walk away from church because they went through a testing that they did not understand, they felt was too severe, it perplexed them. They get mad at God, mad at the church, mad at the preacher, mad at the leadership, mad at something, and they walk away. But no, that's not what we're to do. We are to praise Him, trust Him, walk in faith, stay in prayer, because if we respond right, look what He says. He says it's going to work to your good, it's going to work to your benefit. It's going to bring patience into your life. It's going to try the genuineness of your faith. It's going to bring impurities to the top. And I'm going to talk about that more towards the end, about how God expects us to respond and cooperate with him in the pruning of our lives. So when are these trials ever going to stop, Pastor? When he comes back. But you're going to be getting pruned when you're 80, 90. If you live that long, you're going to be getting pruned still. You're still going to go through trials. I, hey, I've never had to look for one. They've always come to me. I sure wouldn't pray for one. I, I've never had to because they always come. And we've got to see the purpose. Remember last week I told you what wisdom was. Wisdom is seeing trials through God's eyes. If any man lack faith or lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And what does wisdom do? It helps you see what you're going through through God's eyes. And then you can cooperate with God and work with God to bring your character up a step higher than it was. It's not beyond God to send a trial to test you. He will never tempt you to sin. But it is not beyond God to send a trial to test you. Any trial that brings beneficial results is either allowed or sent by God. You know, we just got to get to the place, folks, where we understand sovereignty. Nothing comes into your life that God doesn't allow. Now, if you go off and sin and open the door of the devil, there are some things that can get into your life that God really did not want. So if you're walking with God, to the best of your ability, walking in the knowledge and wisdom that you have, and trials come, it had to at least be allowed by God. Didn't Jesus say, Simon, Simon, Satan has desires to sift you like wheat. Now, did Jesus say, but I, I cut him off at the pass and I stopped him from doing it? No. He said, I've prayed for you that when you have been sifted like wheat, you will come back, be restored, and strengthen your brethren. So it's no wonder that it was Simon Peter that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a three-minute sermon that brought 3,000 to Christ. It's like that, because you can read it in three minutes, out loud. 
Jesus didn't stop it. He allowed it through. Come on. I mean, that's what the Bible says. He allowed it through. Because Simon Peter, hey, God knows. Some things I look up and say, you know what, God, you know. Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, why this, why that? I'll say, you know what, I don't know. But God knows. God knows. God knows. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Let's move quickly here. Genesis 22, 1. I'm going to show you just a couple of verses. And then I want to get into talking about temptation. More than, a little bit more than testing tonight. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass that after these things, that God tested Abraham. He tested him and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God tested Abraham. All right? And what did he do? He led him to sacrifice Isaac, stopping him right before it was done. Why? We're going to find that every time we read about testing, it was because God was going to reveal what was in the heart of the tested. Now, when God reveals what's in the heart of the tested, is it so that he can know what's there? Uh Uh-uh. Because he never says, well, I'll be. Who needs to see what's there? The tested. When God, when you go through a testing and, and God reveals some things that are in your heart, it is so that you can cooperate with God to chisel those things off your life and grow. All right? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Just take a right. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 2. Now, here's, here's Moses talking to the, the children of Israel. And look what he says, verse 1, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Look what he says in verse 2, Deuteronomy 8, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and, what everybody? Test you. And look what it says the reason was, to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, again, God didn't need to know. God knew what was there, but he wanted them to see what was there. You know, you can either say, oh my gosh, I'm just a horrible mess, or you can say, Lord, you have allowed me to see these things so that you and I can cooperate together to change me. I mean, they had doubt, they had unbelief, they were complainers, they were murmurers, they had anger, they had all kinds of things. And God led them, tested them in the wilderness to show them what was in their hearts. Now take a right, 2 Chronicles. Go to Samuel, King, Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31. We're going to see it again here. 2 Chronicles 32, 31. However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him... To inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him. Watch this now. God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. And that's Hezekiah. Talking about King Hezekiah. Have you ever gone through a day or a week or maybe a month, maybe even longer, where you didn't sense the presence of God much? You want to know how 
You can know if a child has really learned what you've been trying to teach them or not. Uh, turn them loose and step back where they don't know you're watching. See what they do when they don't think anybody's watching. If they, if they behave according to what you have taught them, then, then that test of withdrawing your presence, where they don't know you're watching, they don't know you're there, they don't sense your presence, you can do this with an animal. You can do this with any, listen, dogs. Just withdraw where they don't know if you're there or not. See if they've learned potty training. My little dog, my little chihuahua gets guilty and crawls under the couch when, when he knows I'm watching, see. But if you want to know that, that something you can teach, if you want to know they've learned what you've been trying to teach them or not, withdraw. God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him to see what was in his heart. And again, I say to you, if God withdraws or you go through a test, God knows what's in your heart. He's not surprised, but he wants you to see it. So you can say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm just major league impatient. Or I've got a real anger problem here. Or I've got a, a real tendency to just get my stomach all in knots and not be able to sleep in not, at nights when, when the cash flow is low. I have a real problem trusting God. Well, when you see that, don't get down on yourself, but realize God allowed you to see that so you can say, Lord, here I have discovered a weakness in me. Help me. And God comes and strengthens you and changes you at that point of weakness. He told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect, perfect in weakness. Well, you've got to see your weakness before you can say, Lord, help me. Help me. I'm weak here. I need your grace. Amen? So testing is more for our insight than his. Testing brings impurities to the top. And then we, we've got to allow him to correct us. We've got to cooperate with him in his correction of us. Well, Pastor, what do I do when I see a, a weakness or a flaw in my character? You admit it. You say, Lord, this testing has revealed these things in me. And then you get into the Word of God, into verses that have to do with that weakness and strengthen yourself and let the hand of God mold you and shape you into His image. Don't just walk around in condemnation. God's not condemning you for the flaws in your character. God has allowed it to be revealed so that you can take it to Him and become more like Jesus. How many of you have ever realized, hey, listen, I believe that rush hour traffic is designed by God to reveal the impurities. Amen? What, what is it in life where you experience unbelief? What area? Is, is it money? Is it relationships? Is it some other trust area where you experience unbelief? Well, do you know that you'd have never seen that if God hadn't allowed you to go through some things that brought that to the top? That's what testing does. It brings about a good and a beneficial person. What about impatience? What about... Do you get mad and yell? Don't raise your hand. I'm not asking you to do that. Do you get mad and just blow your stack and yell? Have you ever experienced a time where, or has God allowed somebody into your life who's custom designed? It's like they're the fingernails and you're the chalkboard, and, and they're custom designed to just bring things to the top. You say, oh, God, deliver me. And, and just like Paul's thorn in the flesh, he says, no, 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 I'm not going to deliver you out. I'm going to deliver you in. I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm going to take you through it. And the only way you're getting through it 
is by bringing the weakness that this person, this relationship, or this circumstance is bringing to the top. The only way you're getting out of it is if you let me change it, and when I have changed it, you won't even care if you're in or out of it anymore. That's what testing does. We've got to be, hey folks, he, David the psalmist told us in the Psalms, he's above us, he's below us, he's beside us, he's all around us. You can't even think a thought that he sees it and knows it afar off. He is the absolute, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God, and he, he knows it all. He, he said, if I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I sprout wings and fly to the uttermost parts of the earth, he follows me, he finds me. When I arrive, he's already there. You can't run from him. You can't hide from him. He'll find you. He knows what's in you, and he knows what needs to be changed. That's why you hang on to Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. David said in Psalms 138, verse 8, I think, he will perfect that which concerns me. He's going to perfect me. So everybody say, testing brings about something good. Everybody got that? All right. Now, he's going to tell us the difference between a test and that leads to good and a temptation that leads to sin. Let's look at it. James 1.13. Tempted means tempted to sin. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. Tempted what? To sin. He didn't say tested. He said tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Now let me just tell you something tonight. Do you know why he had to tell us that? Because I'm going to tell you what one of the devil's smoothest tricks are. Are you ready? The devil will come to you in the midst of a temptation and tell you, this is of God. God understands your situation. And so, understanding it, God has brought this. Let me tell you something. That's one of his smoothest tricks. Uh, uh, God understands if you go out and, uh, um, you know, God understands that you're lonely, or God understands that uh, you're under a lot of stress. So what God has done is he has brought this into your life because he understands. God understands. You know, Satan can be a real bleeding heart. And see, that's why everything that comes into your life, you need to run through the sifter of this word because it doesn't matter what you feel satan uses emotions he uses emotions and listen it's it's very very close in your soul in your mind it's very hard sometimes to tell the difference especially if you've got a need that is legitimate all right it's very hard to tell the difference between a temptation and the voice of God. Because your emotions will talk to you. Your emotions will talk to you. And I believe the reason James, by the Spirit of God, told us this, don't say when you're being tempted, I'm tempted. This has sourced itself in God. This is from God. Because he says very clearly, only the good and the perfect and the peaceable comes down from heaven. God will never send you something that is against his word. 
Sometimes your emotions can shout. They can scream. And be very, very convincing. It looks right, seems right, appears right. And don't you know that Satan appears like an angel of light? Like an angel. He appears like an angel. He doesn't come up in a little red suit with a pitchfork and a long tail. He comes up in something charismatic, attractive, beautiful, appealing to your senses. And then says, this is from God. Don't you know he understands your plight? Don't you know he gets it? Don't you know that he just sent this because he's having mercy on you? Don't you know that it's okay if you just dabble a little bit in this and that or the other? And he, he'll come and he'll speak into your mind, and he's extremely convincing everybody. You think Eve would not have fled in the Garden of Eden if she had seen a monster? Uh-uh. He approached her like a serpent. I take that to mean the way that a serpent moves on the ground. It's very mesmerizing. It's very... You know, sometimes you can't turn your eye away from it the way that it moves. It's, it's, it's mesmerizing. It's arresting. He comes in something very convincing to the eye, very convincing to the senses, and he tempts. And, and, and right when you're, you're captured by what you're seeing or sensing, he says, it's from God. And if you don't run it through this sifter, this is just a giant sifter, it's just a sifter. If you don't run it through this, no matter what you feel, you will be captured, you will be taken down. He's going to come like an angel of light. That's how he manifests himself. He's a master. He's been doing it for centuries. But here goes the progression. He says, don't say, when I'm tempted, I'm tempted by God. See, because a believer... Think about this. A believer, oh, we're fine. I, I was looking at my watch and I thought it said something else. Okay. Are y'all with me now? Watch this now. When he, he knows that a believer who loves God, who knows at least part of the word, is not going to be moved by something that's obvious. He's going to have to disguise himself as an angel of light, something that is from heaven. And believe me, he's good at it. He's extremely convincing if you don't run it through the sifter of Scripture. So the first step, I think, to a decline is you have got to accept that something is from God. You've got to convince yourself. And then here's the way temptation goes, verse 14. Look what he says. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Here's the difference between testing and temptation. Are you ready? Testing comes from without. It hits you from the outside. Children of Israel were tested constantly by events that happened around them. No water. Uh, you know, walking around the mountain over and over again. Uh, the manna. They hated the manna, which is what is it in Hebrew. Every morning they got up and had fried, what is it? Baked, what is it? Cooked, what is it? You know, raw, what is it? But they were so sick of what is it? They said, we're so tired of this, what is it? But see, everything that came at them was from without. Testing 
comes at you from the outside in. But James says temptation that leads to sin and destruction comes from within. It comes from within. Our own desires respond to an outward enticement. Let me give you an illustration. You go fishing. I used to fish all the time. I wish I probably should do it more now. Had a little bass boat. Used to go out there at Lake Fork in East Texas. And I became really good at knowing what those bass were fish. Now watch. I learned, if, if you drop a lure in front of a bass, I, I've seen lures drop in front of bass in, in shallow waters who just sat and stared at it and didn't do anything and finally just swam away. Why didn't they hit it? Because that lure did not appeal to something in them. Here's the deal, folks. Temptation only works when Satan drops the lure in front of you and the lure appeals to something in you. See, the problem is not the lure, it's the lured. That's the problem. He can drop all kinds of stuff around you, and it's not going to do it. You could drop me into a cigarette factory. You could leave me there for 12 months. And I would not one time want one of those cigarettes. Not once. Because there's nothing in me that wants it. But see, if I had quit smoking, say, six months ago, and you dropped me into a cigarette factory, oh, Jesus, help me, my gosh. Because then I'm going to have something within me that responds. Now watch this. Satan knows you. God knows you, but so does the devil. He rem hey, he was the one leading your life before you got saved. So he knows what it was in you that was a weakness. So do you think he wastes time throwing lures your way that don't appeal to the weakness within? Uh-uh. He, he drops the lure that he knows will lure you. Come on, everybody. That's what he does. He doesn't waste his time. Listen, he will think, he will strategize 10 years to drop just the right lure at just the right time and just the right place at just the right moment of weakness so that you go, hump, and you bite it. That's why I really do believe in being honest with yourself and honest with God. Lord, you know my weaknesses. Here they are. This is what they are. I'm at, and that's what you've got to study the Word, put the Word in you, Scriptures in you, that reinforce and strengthen you against that particular thing. It's not a matter of if, folks. It's a matter of when. He right in front of you. Wow! That's exactly what I need. It must be from God. And the very fact that you needed it and wanted it wipes out a whole lot of your ability to discern. Because it's what I needed, and good grief, it's exactly what I needed. It's exactly what I've been longing for. So, so God knows my needs, and doesn't the Word of God say that He meets all of my needs and takes care of all my desires? And So it must be from God. Uh, you better run it through this, because if this is against what has dropped in front of you, then you don't even need to worry about what you're feeling, because I guarantee you're going to be feeling, I want it, need it, got to have it. Because he has appealed to your weakness. He's not stupid. He's an archangel. Fallen. 
So he's, he's brilliant. And he's a master of this kind of thing. And so God says, don't let him tell you. It's from me. So it begins with your own desires, all right? And if that fish bites the bait, he might be tempted to it but not bite it. But if he bites it, if he bites it, then let's look at what verse 15 says. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived. Now stop right there. If you receive it, you will conceive it. If you receive it, you will conceive it. You will conceive it. You've got to receive it to conceive it. But the minute that you say, looks good, seems good, isn't that what Eve said? She said it looks good to the eye. It's good to the taste. It appealed to all of her senses. So she picked the fruit and ate it. She first had to receive the lie. Then when she received the lie, she conceived the sin. Look at Genesis 1, verse 11. Let me just show you something about temptation. I want you to say with me, temptation is a seed. Genesis 1, 11. Now I want you to notice something. This is so interesting to me. Then God said, Genesis 1, 11, God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herbs that yield seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit. Say the next four words with me according to its kind. Now this verse, verse 11, is the first time that God has created something living. Everything else has been uh, non-living or uh, inanimate before this. Uh, you know, the stars and, and things that, that are not alive. The, the, the earth and land and all that. But now he's created something alive. Vege vegetation. And notice how vegetation is put together. According to its kind, look what it says, whose seed is in itself. On the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. While you're reading that, Pastor Justin, I want you to understand something about life. Everything alive is propagated by seed. Vegetation, marine life, animal life, human life. Everything alive is propagated by seed. Whatever the seed is can only produce after its kind. You can't plant an orange seed and get apples. You can't plant a pecan or an acorn and get bananas. Every seed multiplies and reproduces only according to its nature. Now, if I'm reading James right, temptation is like a seed. So you're, you're walking along, okay, and all of a sudden it drops into your head, a temptation. Now, you've got a choice right then and there. I believe that the moment to deal with temptation is the moment the temptation deals with you. You deal with it quickly. You deal with it quickly. You do not entertain that thing. Because listen, the minute it hits you, you're, you're walking along and, and, and a thought hits you. You know, it's been 20 years since you smoked a cigarette. And aren't you under terrible stress, you poor baby? 
But don't you know it's not going to be any big deal if you just go grab a pack of Marlboros and just have a few? You deserve a break today. And God understands. And then as you're walking along, uh, uh, you know, you, you get to work right about that time or something, and here's a bunch of coworkers outside just smoking up a storm. And one of them says, hey, want one? Well, then it must be God because somebody offered it to me. If, 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 you know, he knows my need. Nobody wakes up, y'all, and says, I believe I'm going to start a habit that's going to kill me in 20 years. Don't, do you? No, no, it's a seed. Now, the minute you entertain it, it goes down into your soul, and it's, and you receive it. If you entertain it, meditate on it, consider it, give it time, that seed goes down into your soul. Now listen, it can't produce anything good, because it's going to produce after its own kind. All seeds do. So if it's not from God, and we know what's from God, if it's good, he's not going to tell you smoke. Kill you. Hey, child of mine who I love and died for, why don't you start a habit today? It's going to kill you. No. The devil says, no big deal. All your friends do it. Just, just once, just twice, just a few times. No big deal. You need to live. Nobody wakes up and says, I believe today I'm going to become a heroin addict. Today. No. You end up at some party where there's a bunch of idiots, and they've got that stuff out. And you say, just one time. Listen, I've counseled people that did crack cocaine one time. And you know what? Their life is no longer their own. Because the Bible says, he who you give your members, servants to obey, they're its servant you become. Now, so the seed goes down. And the minute that you entertain that thing and don't reject it and eject it and put the word inside of you, it's a seed that goes down. It may not manifest in a year or two years, five years, but it will manifest. Because he says, if you receive it, you conceive it. That word conceive is the same word for a woman conceiving a child. Same word. Same Greek word. Okay? So you receive it. Now he says, Look what he says. When desire has conceived. So now you've received it and it's conceived inside of you. Now you've got something growing inside of you, everybody. It's growing inside of you. Now real quickly, let me just show you an example. Turn to John chapter 12, verse 4. And I'm going to show you Judas Iscariot. John chapter 12, verse 4. I'm going to show you how this happened with him real quickly. Just so I can give you a, 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 an illustration. John 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, this is after that ointment was poured on Jesus' feet, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor. He was just being a good politician there. But because he was a thief and had the money box, and he hated to see something that he could have stolen from used on Jesus. And he used to take what was put in it. So that tells us he stole from Jesus' money back. Now watch this, y'all. Right there, the seed was sown into Judas' heart. Right then. He watched this event, and he went, you know what? The devil hopped on him, went into his mind, dropped a thought. That was a waste of money. You could have had that money. 
Doesn't that just infuriate you? And he began to entertain it. What we're seeing right here is the beginning of the betrayal of Jesus. Because it's the seed. The seed went in right there. He entertained it. It went down into his soul. He didn't eject it. Oh, would to God. I guarantee you, there, the day came, he wished to God he had rejected that thought. But let's look, go on now. Keep that thought in mind. I'm going to take you back to Judas in just a moment. Next step is the act. He said, James says, it gives birth. When you conceive it, when you receive it and conceive it, every child conceives, eventually born, everybody. Any seed received, and that seed conceives, is one day going to be born. It's one day going to be born. So it says it gives birth to sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to act on it. It gives birth. It gives birth. Once you have received that seed of temptation, if you don't get it out and it goes down in there and it conceives, the day will come. Mark me my words on this one. The day will come that the, the thought, the seed, becomes an action. It will become an action. That's the way God wired us. We can't do it any other way. Whatever you dwell on, meditate on, whatever seed you receive into your soul, be they good or bad, one day they will bring action. When I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, came to the Lord, got filled with the Holy Spirit, I, was, I just devoured the Word all the time. And the Word just finally became a fire in my heart. Because, see, the Word is a seed. It's called the incorruptible seed of the Word of God in Peter. And the more I took it in, the more I meditated on it, the more I read it, the more it just set me on fire. Jeremiah said, your word was like a fire shut up in my bones. Well, finally, it had to move into an action. And even though I had horrible stage fright, horrible stage fright, I mean, my eyes would twitch, my lips would twitch, my legs would knock and quiver and shake. But see, see, the seed that I took in moved me to action against all of my personality. It's for good or for bad. If you don't deal with with a temptation, if you don't get it out, confess it and get it out, it's going to eventually turn into an action. Look at John 13, 21, and we see what happened to Judas. John 13, 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed, and they him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. So John leaned in and said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, his, the son of Simon. Now look what happened, y'all. Verse 27, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. How in the world did Satan enter him? Because Satan had something to work with. Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do it quickly. Jesus full well knew that the seed had come to fruition and now it was giving birth to an action. 
Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night, and we know the rest of the story. He went out and he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. How in the world did he do that? Folks, have you ever watched the news and said, how in the world did they do that? How did those terrorists over there behead a man? In cold blood and not blink. How do they aim a rifle at a child running with their back to them? How does a grown woman, a grown man, aim a rifle and shoot a child down? I'm going to tell you how. I'll tell you how. I guarantee you I could go back in their life and I could take you to places and times when they were reading something, listening to something, and seeds went in. Seeds went in. You don't become a monster overnight. Seeds went in. Propagandistic books, teachers that said, we've been wrong, we've been betrayed. We have the right under Islam, under Muhammad, to commit jihad, to mow people down seed after seed after seed until finally there is no conscience. There is nothing behind those eyes. What did that? Time and seed. And those seeds went down in there. If you met them probably ten years before this event and told them in ten years you're going to mow a child down. They would have said no way. <laughs> That's why you got to be so careful what you let in. Because what you let in is going to go down folks. It can only produce after its kind. If it's a hate seed, it's going to produce after its kind. If it's a lust seed, it's going to produce after its kind. If it's a fear seed, it's going to produce after its kind. If it's an addiction seed, it's going to produce after its kind. It will only produce what it was originally. If it's a God seed, it's going to produce after its kind. If it's a love seed, it's going to produce after its kind. If it's righteousness seed, it's going to produce after its kind. If it's a wisdom seed, it's going to produce after its kind. Okay? And then the final step is when sin is fully grown, it'll bring forth death. And we all know what happened. Judas went up to Jesus, kissed him, betrayed him. Jesus was crucified. Judas went and hanged himself. What began as a seed turned into a horrible, horrible tragedy. And it brought forth death. Now he ends it with this. God only sends, he says, be clear on this. God only sends good things. He'll only send into your life seeds that will produce a fruit of righteousness. He will not send any seed that ends in destruction, theft, chaos, terror, fear, anything negative. He won't send it. It didn't come from God. Amen? So testing comes from outside to bring our character up that God might change us and move us on. Temptation comes from inside to take us down. And it is a seed always that begins inside and finally grows up and destroys. So good news tonight, everybody. Look at verse 18. Let's just read it closing. Well, let's read verse 17 and 18 out loud together, and then we'll close with that, all right? Every good gift. Are you with me? 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, we might look like him, be like him, have character like him. So anything that comes into your life that is contrary to that, hey, you can run from it, get it out, repent of it, reject it. It's not from him. Amen? Let's stand together, can we? With every head bowed, let me just ask you a question tonight. Are you aware of the seeds that are being sown into your life? Is there anything that has been being sown that God has checked you about? Think about that for a minute. Is there anything you need to repent of tonight? And ask God to forgive you for and eject it, reject it out of your mind and out of your spirit before the seed becomes an action. If it has become an action, you know what? You can stop it dead in its tracks by repenting and asking God to forgive you and to grace you to stop the progress of that seed now. Before it does any more damage. Heavenly Father, shine your light on us and help us to walk in truth. We're in a world that is just filled with battles. Help us, Lord, to be very selective about the seeds that are sown into our minds, knowing that whatever it is, it will become grown up after its kind. What will it look like grown So, Lord, we ask you to speak to us and show us and help us, Lord, to be cleansed. In the name of Jesus. Now, do you just take a moment and say, Lord, if it's a seed in your heart, if it's something that's already become action, just take a moment and say, Lord, I repent. Help me to turn now. Turn now. Don't give it another day. Turn now. Don't give it another day.